Good morning. Um, I'd like to ask you to stand again for the reading of God's word. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it can be found on page 906. And for those of you sitting in the front row, the pew Bibles are underneath your seat, if you'd like. We're going to read from John chapter 20 this morning. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. 
If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. You may be seated. Please, I invite you to keep your Bibles open or, or reopen them if you just shut them. Uh, as we look at this passage together, and let's pray and ask God to meet us here. Gracious Heavenly Father, what an absolute, incredible joy to celebrate the resurrection today. Thank you that in Christ we have hope. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear your voice speaking to us and that we would have hearts that are soft and ready to receive your word and be changed. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, as many of you uh, know this week in our family, we experienced a pretty crushing disappointment. Uh, We had an ultrasound scheduled for this Friday to find out the gender of our baby, and uh, instead discovered that our, our child had died in the womb about three weeks ago. And so, you know, we're heartbroken, as you would guess, and, and confused and, and sad. And uh, we're so thankful for so much of the support and prayers that so many of you have given to us. And even as we're still very much reeling in that grief, uh, the reality is that, that disappointment is a common part of the human story. It is something every single one of us experiences. Uh, Sometimes the disappointment that we experience is pretty petty. Like, I thought I was going to get this for my birthday and I got that instead. Or I thought this would finally be the year that when we took the Easter picture, all of the kids would actually be smiling at the same time. (laughs) Just a little pro tip, just let that dream die. It's never, that's why God gave us Photoshop. 
So sometimes disappointment's pretty petty and laughable, and other times it's absolutely devastating. Losing a child, losing your ability to walk, losing your job, you know, our expectations. You know, I thought by, by this point in my life I would be married or have children, or I thought that this surgery was supposed to relieve my chronic back pain. I thought that the chemo would kill the cancer. I thought that things were going to get better, and it looks like they're only getting worse. And when that disappointment hits us, it's easy to become disoriented and disillusioned, to, to not know, you know what even to do next, what to, where to go, who to believe, if I should even care. In a word, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope. To give way to grief or fear or even cynicism. To think that there is no hope for a better world because hope did not come in the shape that I had expected it. And that's really what the followers of Jesus were experiencing that first Easter morning. The first Easter did not start with fanfare and bright flowers and beautiful dresses. And, uh, you know, we sing hallelujah today. There was no hallelujah chorus in the background when Mary showed up at the tomb. Their day started with darkness and gloom, with sadness and confusion. Their hope for a new and better world had just been lost. Their king, their savior, the one who they were following, had been crucified, condemned as a criminal and nailed to a Roman cross. The man that they thought was on road to being coronated as the king of Judea and and even to the ends of the earth, instead they had watched be crowned with a wreath of thorns and executed like a common criminal. And so their expectations about how God was going to rescue his people and renew this broken earth, were buried in the grave, quite literally. The Apostle John, as he tells us the story of that first Easter day, uh, we see three different reactions to the disappointment of what looked like Jesus' defeat. Grief, fear, and skepticism. Reactions that I think many of us can identify with. But we also see what happens when those reactions are encountered with the resurrected Christ. And find that hope is not lost. It just came to us in a way that we never expected. Mary Magdalene was the first to the tomb that morning and she responded to Jesus' death with grief. When she went to the tomb that morning, early before the sunrise, she wasn't there to see whether Jesus had risen yet or not. Like, you know, kids getting up before the sunrise on the day that the grandparents are going to visit to find out if they're here yet. She was there to mourn. She was there to grieve his tragic death. And so discovering that the tomb was empty was not a sign of hope to her, but of scandal and insult. Her beloved king was now not only dead, but someone had taken his body for who knows what purpose. 
So John 20, verses 1 through 2 read, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And even after Peter and John, John uh, likes to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved throughout his gospel. Uh, Even after they came and investigated and then went back home, Mary remains at the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she looked into the tomb. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary can no longer cling to the hope of a new world. Her hopes died with Jesus. And so she tries instead to cling to the memory of that hope. The emblem of all that she had dreamed but now knows will never be. She tries to cling to the body of Jesus. And many of us respond to to the kinds of crushing disappointments that this life can bring in a similar way. We, We cling to the memorial of our loss, some token that reminds us of what we had hoped would make things better, but now we know isn't going to happen. Mary tries to cling to Jesus' body, but it's gone. And she's devastated. She's confused. And it's there in her grief and devastation that the resurrected Christ meets her and changes her world in ways she could have never guessed. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. He said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. To hear that voice say her name again. Beyond all hope and expectation, the man that she watched suffer and die now stands before her, having conquered the grave and speaking her name. Unbelievable unparalleled in history. And it means that although it didn't come the way she expected it would, hope is not lost. Because Jesus is risen. And he is bringing peace to his people and making all things new. You know, upon seeing him, Mary understandably tries to cling to him again as if, To say, I've lost you once, and that's not going to happen. But Jesus' death wasn't the end. She need not cling to him, because his death was, his resurrection was a new beginning. And he now has a mission for Mary, to report to the disciples the victory and the resurrection 
uh, and his coming ascension. And she does it. She goes and announces to them, I have seen the Lord and that he had said all of these things to her. And so Jesus meets Mary in her grief and gives her purpose and joy through the truth of his resurrection. The disciples' reaction to the cross was somewhat different. The disciples, uh, if you've read the Gospels, they are the 12 men, now 11, after Judas' betrayal, uh, who Jesus had chosen to kind of be his special followers and witnesses to his kingdom. And these disciples, of course, were no doubt grieving the way that Mary was, but but their reaction that, that John emphasizes in this story is fear. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. And so you wonder, what, what did they have to be afraid of? Their king and their leader had just been executed. And they had every reason to think that they were probably next as his followers. So they're hiding. And, and this is even after Peter and John had already been to the tomb that morning to see the fact that it was empty. When Mary had reported to them that the tomb had been broke open, Peter and John ran to investigate. Verse 5, And stooping to look in, John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. What in the world would that, could that possibly mean? I mean, if someone had stolen the body, would they really have taken time to unwrap it first? Uh, from the description, it sounds more like the body somehow passed through the grave clothes, leaving a pile there. The, only the face cloth is specified as having kind of been rolled up and, and set aside since it's no longer needed. And it's, for John and for Peter, it's not as though the resurrection was the obvious explanation or alternative. Uh, ancient Jews believed in bodily resurrection from the dead. The Old Testament promised it. But they believed it was something that would happen to all people at the end of time. They had no category for their crucified king bringing that future hope into the present. That's not something they expected. We're not really told what Peter thinks of this, how he processed it all. We are told that John saw and believed. He believed the resurrection. He didn't necessarily understand why it had to happen yet. He didn't understand yet why the scriptures foretold this, but he believed it happened. Not simply because the tomb was empty, but because the grave clothes were still there. And yet that evening, they're all behind locked doors, afraid for their lives. And it's that fear that so often grips us when our, our expectations of how we think things are going to get better fall apart. What happens now? What's next? What else is going to go wrong? And they're there trapped in that fear until 
Jesus appears. Middle of verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Here, before their very eyes, was their resurrected Lord. And there was no mistaking him. He was real flesh. Luke, we're told in Luke's account that he ate a piece of fish with them to prove to them, I'm not just a spirit or a ghost. And yet it was the same flesh. Jesus shows them the wounds he incurred on the cross, the place where his hands had been pierced, where his side had been pierced. And yet it was transformed flesh. There was something new about his body. You see here in how he can just kind of show up behind locked doors or in the same way as he somehow passed through the grave clothes. And elsewhere we're told that this flesh, this resurrected flesh, is immortal, never to decay again. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father this very moment in that resurrected flesh. And when his disciples saw him, Jesus tells us, or John tells us that they were glad. The resurrected Christ met them in their fear, and that fear gave way to joy when they realized that not all was lost, that their king had conquered death, that he would in fact redeem his people and fulfill his promises. Just not the way they expected. And it's these very men who are are sitting here hiding in fear of their lives whom Jesus, in fact, sends out as messengers of his kingdom. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Jesus entrusts his apostles with the keys of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the hope that that the sin and shame that separate us from our God, all of our disobedience and rebellion, it can all be forgiven. It can all be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. There is hope for a new and a better life through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And yet not everyone was convinced. There is one unfortunate disciple who was absent from that first meeting. And there is nothing his companions can do or say that will convince him ever to hope again. Verse 24. Now Thomas one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his, in his hands the mark of the nails and, the, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas responds to the cross, no doubt, like the rest of the disciples, with fear. But he responds to news of the resurrection with skepticism. Not because he knows dead people don't rise from the grave. Everyone knows that. 
It's not like we needed modern science to tell us the resurrection's impossible. Of course, it would have to be a miracle from God. His skepticism isn't over whether God could raise the dead. It's over whether God did. And until he had proof, he was unwilling to believe. And many of us can share that skepticism as well. Not merely skepticism over whether the resurrection is true, though no doubt uh, that's a a skepticism that some of us share, but even more than that, a cynicism over whether we should ever let ourselves hope for anything good again. And sometimes when we have hoped so deeply and believed so strongly that things were actually going to get better, that something good was finally going to come, and then it doesn't, it's easier to stop hoping than to risk being hurt again. To risk being let down one more time. And so if we're going to do that, i got to have proof. I need to have proof. And what's amazing here is that Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas in his skepticism. Instead, he meets him right there in the middle of it, in the midst of his doubt and unbelief. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And listen to Thomas's response. One of the greatest declarations of faith in the entire New Testament. My Lord and my God. Thomas recognizes in seeing the resurrected Christ that he was looking into the very face of God. The resurrected Jesus met Thomas in his skepticism and doubt gave way to faith. He met Mary in her grief, the disciples in their fear. Where will he meet you? Where will he meet you? And the answer, wherever you are, that's where the resurrected Christ will come and meet you, wherever you are. Whatever questions you're asking, whatever grief you're carrying, whatever sin you're ashamed of, wherever you are, Jesus invites you to believe Because his resurrection truly changes everything. It's probably not the answer to how we thought our problems would get solved. Or our dreams would be realized. But but what John wants to show us here is that the resurrection of Christ offers us something so much better. Because it offers a real and lasting peace that brings wholeness to whatever is broken. In life. Notice how in each of his appearances in this story, the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And, and no doubt that, you know, that was certainly a common greeting back then as it is today. 
It's also something Jesus promised specifically to his followers. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's not just talking about the absence of conflict. Kids no longer fighting in the back seat when you're trying to talk on the phone. He's talking about shalom, about wholeness, about the world as it was meant to be. He's talking about everything that's wrong with this broken and fallen world finally being made right again. That is the peace Christ promises. That is the peace he has begun to accomplish through his resurrection from the grave. One of the beautiful things about John's account of the resurrection is how he frames it with allusions to the first story of the Bible, the first creation account in Genesis. John wants us to see in the cross and resurrection an echo of God's first creation so that we understand that that what God is doing here is launching a new creation through Christ. He's making all things new. So as God completed his creative work on the sixth day by making man in his own image, so Jesus is crucified on the sixth day, Good Friday, paying the penalty for sinful man and announcing with his words, his final words from the cross, it is finished. Just as God rested on the seventh day from all his labor, so Jesus rests in the tomb on the seventh day, Holy Saturday, having completed his work of redemption. Twice John emphasizes in our story that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, Sunday. His resurrection triggers, marks a new creation. John points out Jesus is buried in a garden. The same setting as that first creation. And Jesus is even mistaken as a gardener which is kind of an ironic and fitting association with the first gardener, Adam. When Jesus equips his disciples for their mission, he breathes on them, saying, receive the Holy Spirit, which is an echo of God breathing into Adam, that breath of life. Through the resurrection of Jesus, everything will be made new. Like that. First spring crocus that manages to kind of pierce its way through the snow. The new world that God has promised has broken through the surface with the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits and the down payment for that future world to come. We wait for the end, for the fullness of God's new creation. When Christ comes again, In that day, the Bible tells us that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the promise of the new creation that's coming. No more will we wake up with legs that don't work. No more will we live with 
our hearts broken in the disappointment of this world. No longer will we labor in vain or bear children for calamity. As Isaiah promised centuries ago, in that day, God will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We awaited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. New creation is coming. God has promised that in the end, everything will be made new. But here's the miracle and the mystery of Easter. The peace and the wholeness that God promises for that day is already present and at work in this fallen world through the resurrection of Christ. The God who raised Jesus from the dead has the power to heal our broken lives, our broken hearts, our broken bodies, our broken relationships. And it all begins by healing our broken relationship with God. Whether we realize it or not, our greatest problem in this world is not the loss of a job or a lack of friends or even a loss of a child. It's not a lack of money or opportunities or health or self-confidence. Our greatest problem in this world is that we are sinners against a holy God. And that sin, that rebellious disobedience in all of the various various forms that it comes, it spoils our relationship with God and it brings us under God's righteous judgment. That's our worst problem. But the message of Good Friday is that the judgment we deserved has already been poured out on God's Son in our place. Jesus Christ died willingly for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And the message of Easter is that there really is new life. There really is new life through Christ. Easter proves to us that Jesus did not die for his own sins. Think about that. If Jesus had sin, then death would have a rightful claim over him, and it would not let him go. But death had no claim. Therefore, it could not hold him back. He broke the power of the grave and he brings new life out of it. And if his cross and resurrection are able to deal with our greatest problem, our broken relationship with God, then we shouldn't be surprised to see how they somehow deal with every other problem in our lives, giving us perspective and hope power for what God is doing to make us new. Hope for a better world, hope for a better life, it doesn't always come the way we thought it would. But that is no reason to give up hope. The resurrection of Christ might not be the hope that we were looking for, but it is the hope that we truly need. Jesus is making all things new and he wants to make your life 
Wherever you are, He wants to make your life new. To meet you right there with the forgiveness of the cross and the healing and peace of the resurrection. If you will believe in Him. If you will follow Mary's and the disciples and even Thomas's example and believe. Even we who have not seen the resurrected Christ with our own eyes, but we depend on the witnesses, the reliable testimony of his apostles. And historically speaking, it is very reliable. Even to us who have not seen, Jesus invites us to believe. He says to Thomas in verse 29, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus is speaking to us there. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Will you hear that invitation this morning? Will you experience that blessing through faith in Jesus Christ and find in him a hope you didn't even know you were looking for? Forgiveness, new life, peace with God, and a hope that all things will be made new. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you know the heart of every person here this morning. You know the questions, the doubts, the grief, the fear, the pain. You know every emotion that we brought with us here this morning. Lord, would you take your word and speak into our hearts right where we're at. Would you meet us wherever we are with the truth and beauty and hope of your resurrection? And would you help us see how that changes everything? Fill us with faith that we might be faithful followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.